0: So in honor of Father's Day, I thought I would share some, uh, I love dad jokes, um, as you have to when you start becoming a dad. So I thought I'd share a few with you uh, this morning. What do you call a dad who falls through the ice? A popsicle. I didn't say they would be good, I just said they would be dad jokes. Uh, Where do fruits go on vacation? Paris. Paris, nobody, nothing. Okay, fine. When does a joke, I like this one, you should be able to get that. When does a joke become a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. You haven't heard that one? What am I working with here? Why is Peter Pan always flying? Because he never lands. What did the, maybe these are just over your head. See, Maybe that's what the problem is. Dad jokes are just too high of intelligence. Uh, What did the accountant say while auditing a document? This is taxing, right? Uh, why did the orange stop halfway across the road? It ran out of juice. That's what happened. Why should you never use a dull pencil? Because it's pointless. This, I like this one. I hadn't heard this one before. Did you hear about the cheese factory that got blown up? Debris was everywhere. <laughs> that's a good one. I, that's a good one. Uh, what do you call fake spaghetti? You should know this one. Impasta, right? Uh, What do you call a bear with no teeth? A gummy bear. What do you call a can opener that doesn't work? A can't opener. And what did the young otter say to his dad? You are a dad like no otter. So I thought I'd finish on that one. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Hopefully that got a smile out of you. Well, we are continuing in our series on to more important things, but good to laugh, that's important too. But we are continuing in our series uh, called The Good Life, excuse me, in which we're walking through Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And today, our passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to talk to us about priorities, some priorities in our lives. And specifically, he's going to talk to us about prioritizing money and possessions And the problem with greed and the paralyzing power of being preoccupied with those material possessions. And I know that in my own life, and I'm guessing in your life as well, far too often I've experienced how an unhealthy preoccupation with money and material possessions uh, can lead to some issues, lead to a, a lack of freedom and joy in our lives. And even more than that, I think it robs us of our effectiveness in many ways, as followers of Jesus Christ, because we get fixated on the wrong things. We prioritize the wrong things. And so today we're going to walk through Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. So uh, hopefully we'll hear some of his wisdom when it comes to how we can relate to money and our material possessions in a way that doesn't rob us of our joy and our freedom and our effectiveness as his followers. So Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 19. Jesus says this, If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will love the one, be devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So way back in, uh, in, in ancient times, when the Egyptian pharaohs were buried in their pyramids, they were almost always buried with their most expensive treasure, uh, earthly treasures. In fact, they stored them in their tombs before they died just as insurance to make sure they could, you know, they they would be able to take them with them into the afterlife and enjoy for all of eternity. <clears throat> and I and I bring that up because I think for a lot of us it's easy to view what Jesus is saying similarly to those Egyptian pharaohs. In other words, when we live the way God wants us to live, when we use the resources that God has given us the way he wants us to use them, We're in essence making an eternal investment on the other side. So when we do the right things, especially with our money on this side, God deposits our money into our account on the other side that we can use for all of eternity. We can use in heaven when we someday get there. But when Jesus says in heaven here, I don't think he's just talking about that place that you and I go to after we die. Remember the context of the Sermon on the Mount. This is why context is important. That's why I wanted to lead into all of this at the very beginning of this series. And hopefully we can remember some of that. But leading into it, Jesus proclaims in Matthew chapter 4 that the kingdom of heaven has come near. But it's not some distant place. It's not some after, just some afterlife place. But it's also come near. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was present on the earth through Jesus Christ. The reign of God, the activity of God, the rule of God was present on the earth and active through Jesus. It had come Near. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think he's strictly talking about that place that we go to after we got died, never-ending chocolate fountains and gold streets like we talked about the first couple of weeks. I don't think that's exclusively what he's talking about. I think he's a lot of what he's talking about is the kingdom of heaven coming near on the earth through Jesus. Now, if you remember at the beginning of this series, We talked a lot about this idea of the kingdom of heaven coming near. We talked about um, what the rule and the reign and the work of God looks like on the earth. It's all about bringing joy, bringing healing, bringing peace, bringing reconciliation between both God and humans and humans and each other. And working to make things right in a world where they have gone wrong. Those are some of the traits of the kingdom of heaven coming near. Those are some of the life signs of God working on the earth. And this this is what Jesus was up to when he was healing people and bringing deliverance to people's lives right before he began preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is also what he's up to in the Sermon on the Mount itself. You know, it's not just some pie-in-the-sky idealistic teaching. This is all about bringing you and me and his followers, this world, life and reconciliation and hope and purpose that's what his whole teaching is aimed at ultimately our goal yes is heaven but as I said last week we're not in some holding pattern where Jesus saves us and we you know get right with him we give our lives to him and then we sing 50,000 verses of kumbaya all day long right this is how we are to live our lives the kingdom coming near in our lives and so this is what Jesus is talking about, making things right in a world that's gone wrong. And so when Jesus talks about storing, for, storing up treasures in heaven, I think he's talking about investing ourselves in the kingdom of heaven here and now. Yes, there is an element where it is, you know, we are storing up treasures in heaven, but so much of what he's talking about in leading up to the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount itself is about what we do here and now. In terms of the kingdom of heaven, in terms of the reign of God and the work of God here and now. He's talking about us focusing our lives and our money and our resources in the reign of God and what God is doing on the earth. God is all about restoring the earth. God is all about restoring people to himself. He's all about restoring people to one another. He's all about bringing joy and peace and provision and healing and making things right where they've gone wrong. And Jesus says, treasure these things. Invest your life and resources in these things. Then he goes on to say something that maybe seems a little bit disconnected from everything else that he says in this section. But he says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So, through our eyes, right, our body is literally enlightened. That's how our eyes literally, physically, physiologically work. They, they take in light in order for us to be able to see. And then we adjust our lives and our behavior, right? So we, we take things in. Our, body take, our eyes take in that light so that we can then see and adjust our behavior accordingly. But if our eyes are bad, if they're not taking in the light that they should be taking in, then our vision is is diminished and it won't be long before you can hurt yourselves right I mean if you've hurt yourself you don't need to raise your hand because you couldn't see very well and it's even worse in the dark right when you're in the dark you can't see anything I mean if you've stubbed a toe banged a knee or even worse than that sometimes in the dark because you can't see your body's not taking in the light because we can't adjust to what it is that we need to be seeing then Jesus says in verse 21 where your treasure is There your heart will be also. What we treasure is what our heart is focused on. And I think Jesus is using this illustration of eyesight to talk about our heart sight. That when our heart is healthy, when it's focused on the light that it should be taking in, the light of what God is doing, the light of what he's up to in this world, the light of what's important and what's valuable and what's not so important and not so valuable that we often make more important and valuable. When, when we get our priorities right, then our whole body is full of light. But when our heart is focused on the earthly treasures of this world, the things that can be stolen or, or corrode or all too easily lost, then our whole bodies are full of darkness, which means we don't, we don't move around as easily. We don't move around as freely or as joyfully. And even more than that, we're, it's actually more dangerous to us because we're at risk in so many ways in the dark, not just physically, but emotionally, relationally spiritually for example money and material possessions can be so uncertain their value changes constantly as the old saying goes among the things that money can't buy is what it used to right and we feel that especially today stop this morning to get gas and it's over five dollars right and it's like holy cow how did we get here i remember when i was and some of you are like i remember when it was a nickel or something like that i don't know yeah um I mean, I remember when I just started driving, it's 79 cents for a gallon. I thought that was cheap. Hey, how many of us would take that, you know? But things decrease in value. Things increase in value. And the ravages of time can, can ruin things. And when my heart is too preoccupied with these kind of things and the ups and downs, then my heart is just taken all along for the ride. It's on this roller coaster of emotions, and it brings about anxiety and frustration and worry and despair. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus talks about moths and rust and vermin destroying. In ancient cultures, that really was a big problem, right? It would completely wipe out things. Now, we don't deal with that as much, right? We still deal with it in some ways, but we still have to deal with other ways in which our precious things are consumed. I was thinking about this. How many of you, again, don't raise your hand, But how many of you have spent significant money on something that you found that you just had to have that you couldn't live without in that season of your life or that moment in your life, and now that thing that you just could not live without, you just had to have, you don't really use anymore? And it's collecting dust. Or maybe the only reason you use it is because, well, we paid money for it. We might as well use it, you know? It's almost like you use it out of spite, even though you don't, you know, but then you can't sell it because you wouldn't get the money back for it. And then we've also moved on to the next thing, right, that we just can't live without, that we just have to have in that season of our lives. One of the healthiest things we could probably do, I know we wouldn't like this, but one of the healthiest things we could probably do is just go to a garbage dump one Sunday and worship there just to remind ourselves that every single earthly possession and thing is going to end up there. Now, we would never say, have you ever driven by a garbage dump and said, man, that's my treasure right there? But Jesus says that's exactly what we do when we make earthly things our primary focus. When we make them the center of, of what we're chasing after and to live in such a way is like trying to walk around in the dark and in the end we're just setting ourselves up for so much frustration and despair and disappointment and pain and anxiety and worry and then jesus gets to what he's really talking about in verse 24 he says no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money In essence, Jesus says, what I'm really talking about is who or what you're going to serve and worship. Money and material possessions can be excellent services for the purposes of God. But all too often, we make them and allow them to be terrible masters of our lives. All too often, we wind up being possessed by our possessions or our desire." possess. Jesus would say elsewhere in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And the fact that Jesus has to tell us to watch out for this should tell us that we're vulnerable to being mastered by our relationship with money and material possessions. Then the question becomes, well, how does this mastery happen? And that really leads us even deeper into Jesus's teaching. Let's pick up in verse 25. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, and he had a lot of it, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And the church said amen to that. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and that gets a double amen on that. The very first word that Jesus says in verse 25 is therefore. You've heard me say this before. When you see that word therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for? It's a clue to connect what we're about to read with what we've just read. And so Jesus has been talking about money and material possessions and investing in the kingdom of heaven and the importance of us being on guard against those things mastering us. That's what he's talking about in verses 19 through 24. But then the very next thing he says is, Therefore, don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. And he's not just talking about, don't worry about where you'll go eat after services are over today, okay? But three times in this section, he tells us not to worry about these things. You see that connection. I think Jesus is giving us some practical wisdom here because so often that desire for material possessions and us being mastered by our possessions, that desire to possess is so often rooted in anxiety and worry and insecurity. Where you see a desire to possess where you see a a, a preoccupation with money and material possessions and the things of this world, you will almost always find worry and anxiety and insecurity. Almost every time. Now, we may get anxious and worried about money and material possessions for different reasons, but in most cases, our desire to possess is rooted in anxiety and worry and insecurity. For some of us, it's rooted in anxiety over not having enough for the future. Some of us are a lot like the, um, the pro golfer, he's retired now, but the pro golfer Lee Trevino. Uh, I love this story about him. The first time he went to the U.S. Open was in 1968, and he was a struggling professional golfer and still trying to work his way up, but he got to the top of the leaderboard way out in front after the third round, and he ended up blowing the field away. He ended up winning uh, that, that 1968 um, U.S. Open by a large margin. And afterwards, reporters asked Trevino what kept him motivated during that final round because he was up so much. What kept him motivated, even though he had already had, had things pretty much sealed up? And Trevino answered, I was trying to get so far ahead that I could choke and still win. And I think that's a way a lot of us approach life. That, that if, you know, we, we, if we can just build it big enough, then I can, tr- I can try to insulate myself from anything that might happen. Get so far ahead that we can choke and still win. For others of us, our anxiety may be not so much over the future, but rather not having the right kind of stuff in the present. So often we're, we're worried about trying to impress others or be accepted by others or keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Like the old saying goes, we buy stuff that we don't really need, that we can't really afford for people that we don't really like. But in either case, whether it's, not a, uh, about, uh, whether it's about not having the right kind of stuff for the future or enough for the future or the right kind of stuff in the present, anxiety over such matters is what gives birth to greed in our lives and it chokes out contentedness and generosity. So how do we combat anxiety over and preoccupation with money and material possessions? Well, I think there's two suggestions right out of this teaching from Jesus. We need to realize first and we need to prioritize Second, first, we need to realize that we are valuable to our Father and that He will provide. You are valuable to your Heavenly Father. Over the past couple of weeks, we've really been, I, I've really tried to drive this point home, that, that this realization of God our, as our Father is so central, really, to the Bible as a whole and to Christianity as a whole, but especially this section of Scripture that Jesus is talking, uh, uh, that we're um, walking through, that Jesus is talking about. Just this importance of viewing God as our Father. In the Sermon on the Mount, okay, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to God as Father 16 times, okay? 14 of, or uh, 16, I think maybe it's 18, 18 times. 14 of them are in chapter 6 alone, So he's really trying to drive this point home in this section of Scripture of how we relate to these things in particular and how we relate to God as our Father. He wants us to get this reality because it all begins with the realization of God as our Father and that He loves us. I mean, we sing, Jesus loves me. Do we really believe that? that God our Father loves us, that Jesus loves us. And that's not just a one-time realization. That is a continual and consistent reminder in our lives because in so many ways, overcoming anxiety and preoccupation in regard in general, but in regard to these things specifically, has everything to do with how we see God. Do we see him as our Father who loves us and cares for us and provides for us? And what that means is that for those of us who are anxious over not having enough in the future, we need to remember that God feeds the birds who don't reap or sow or store away in barns. He clothes the grass of the field beautifully, even though it's here today and gone tomorrow. And the birds in the grass aren't anywhere near as important to him as you are. And if he does that for them, how much more will he do that for you and me. And for those of us who are preoccupied over not having the right kind of stuff in the present, this means that we need to refocus our lives from a standpoint of having that relationship with God as our Father. We need to find our sense of identity in Him, not in our stuff, not in our clothes, not in, you know, uh, hey, it's not, you should give good gifts to your dad today, but you're not defined by the kind of gifts that you give or the kind of gifts that you get or what you can afford to give your dad or what you can't afford to give your dad today. We find our sense of identity in who God is and who he says we are and what we mean to him and what he thinks of us instead of what others think of us on the basis of what we have or what we don't have. The bottom line is that greed and insecure, sorry, anxiety and insecurity is so often the breeding ground for greed and for running after all these other things, as the pagans do, as the world does, Jesus says. And then secondly, when it comes to combating anxiety over and preoccupation with money and material things, I think Jesus is calling us to prioritize the king and his kingdom over our things and our kingdoms. Jesus says, but seek first, not seek also. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his reign his work, his activity in our lives and in the world around us and through us. Seek first his righteousness. Seek first where he's working to make things right in a world that's gone wrong. Seek first those things and God will take care of all the other stuff. Now check this out. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 10, we looked at this last week. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now he's moving from praying for the kingdom of heaven to come to pass on the earth to now investing in the kingdom to come to pass on the earth. And remember, Jesus is saying this to uh, you know, a group of people who don't have full bank accounts. They don't have the, you know, IRAs and, and 401ks and this and that. He's saying this to people who are already living a day-to-day existence. They're living under the, 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 the taxation of the Roman government. These are just blue-collar workers and peasants. And to them and to us, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. Will be added to you as well. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. Don't you think your heavenly Father knows that you need them? Do you think Jesus, God's just up in heaven saying, "Well, I, you know, hope, I hope, you know, do they really need that?" God knows what you and I need. The problem is we think we know what we need better than God knows what we need. But He says, "God knows." So don't worry about those things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Invest in the reign of God, the kingdom of God today. Now, let me say that we do know from other places in Scripture that there is a place for planning for the future. I'm I'm not saying that, okay? But all too often, I think we, we take this idea of planning for the future and we throw it up as just this cosmic shield to keep us from doing the right thing in the present moment when it comes to seeking the kingdom of God first. Today is the day, folks. You can plan for the future, but today is the day that God desires to work in you and through you. And this is a challenging teaching. It was challenging for those Middle Eastern laborers and peasants to trust in God as Father and to prioritize Him as King over their things, even with what little they had. But it's not just challenging for them. Challenging for us too. Challenge to trust in the provider more than in the provision. To trust in the blesser more than the blessing. And to prioritize the king and his kingdom over our things and our kingdoms. Because the reality is, we can't put him first if we're giving him what's left over. You know, we have in God we trust engraved on our money, stamped on our money. The real question is, do we have in God we trust engraved on our hearts? Because that's what Jesus is really getting at. Because we're not just called to pray for the kingdom of God to come to pass on the earth. We're called to invest for the sake of the kingdom coming to pass on the earth. The reality is that at some point, as good as God is, all the blessings, all the provisions that you and I enjoy in this life Will someday be gone in fact they may be gone tomorrow you're not promised that they'll be here tomorrow but there's a difference between the blessings and the blesser between the provisions and the provider and just because the provisions and the blessings are gone doesn't mean that the provider and the blesser is gone they may not be there tomorrow but he will they may change but he won't. And knowing and believing that can make all the difference in the world in us continuing to seek first the kingdom of God today.